Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask now that you'd sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. We pray that you'd open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things in your beautiful word. And what we know not, please teach us. And what we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. All for the glory and the praise of your dearly beloved Son, who lives with you and who reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God forever blessed and forever praised. Amen. 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 Um, old people like me have heard of shows called 60 Minutes. Raise your hand if you know 60 Minutes. Wow, okay. Well, several years ago, several years ago, 60 Minutes did an interview with one of the greatest athletes of all time. For many years, this athlete uh, played for uh, an evil, wicked organization called the New England Patriots. Ooh, yeah, right? Uh, you may have heard of him. The guy's name is Tom Brady. He's back in the news this week as well. Now, at the time of the interview, Brady had just won his third Super Bowl, Super Bowl ring. Right, he's won six, but he, this is he'd won three, and this is how the interview begins. I'm going to read you a little excerpt from the interview. The interview begins: "Quote this whole experience, this whole upward trajectory. What have you learned, Tom, about yourself? What kind of effect has it had on you?" Brady's response: "I put incredible amounts of pressure on myself." When you feel like you're ultimately responsible for everyone and everything, even though you have no control over it, you still blame yourself if things don't go right. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. A lot of times I think I get very frustrated and introverted, and there's times where I'm not the person I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings? And then there's still something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say to me, hey man, This is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think to myself, there has got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27 years old. What else is there for me? And the interviewer said, what's the answer? And Brady responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Now, it's, I didn't intend to, to bring up Brady, but it's even more interesting if you think about what's happened recently in his life. Here's the most famous athlete, probably one of the most famous athletes in the world. He has more money than any of us will ever have. He's married to a supermodel. I can relate to that. (laughs) If you've met my wife. She married way down. I'm married way up. He's won six Super Bowls. He's considered the greatest football player of all time. And what did he say? He said, there has got to be more to life than this. There is more to life than this. There has to be more because every single thing that Tom Brady has... And everything that you have will one day be taken away from you by the silent artillery of time. One day, you're going to grow cold and you're going to die. Welcome to the UBC College Retreat. (laughs) You You came to this retreat to find out that you're really small 
and insignificant in the big scheme of things, and also you're going to die. That, that's what I'm here to do, to serve you by telling you this. But what I want to tell you is that this wisdom, there, there's wisdom we can get from, not just Tom, from Tom Brady, who's pretty old at this point, but for, from an even older man, all right? I'm 43. I'm starting to get grays. I pray every day for a full head of gray hair. I cannot wait to have full gray hair. Allison thinks I'm crazy. Um, I was like 65 when I was 12 years old, basically. I'm one of those old people that you, know, you meet me and you're like, man, I thought you were like 70. You're actually only 40. Um, but, but tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to learn a lesson, Lord willing, from a man who knew and understood that unless our hope, and unless our rest finds itself in the one who made the heavens and the earth, our souls will always be restless until we find that. Now, this old man we're going to learn from, he was dying at one point. He, he knew he was dying. He knew that his days were numbered. He knew he didn't have much longer to live. And this old man had lived really three lives, 40, 40, and 40. You could divide up his life. The first 40 years of this old man's life, he was a prince in Egypt. The next 40 years of his life, he was a lowly shepherd in Midian. In the last 40 years of his life, God had rescued his people from Egypt and he wandered with them in the wilderness for 40 years and everyone who came out of, the, of Egypt with him died in the wilderness. And these final 40 years were just one long funeral procession in the wilderness. And amidst the reality of death and the frailty of life, these were the last words of this man, this old man, Moses. What did he say to Israel right before he died at the age of 120? Well, his words are recorded in Deuteronomy 33. And this is what he said to Israel. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are his everlasting arms. It's Deuteronomy 33, 27. And so tonight we get to actually hand the microphone right here over to Moses. <laughs> and he's going to teach us from this book, this, this Psalm, Psalm 90. And what we're going to learn from Moses, we're going to learn something about this eternal God, this everlasting God. We talked about incommunicable attributes. We started with that God is infinite. And now we're thinking about how God is eternal. We are time-bound creatures, right? But God is not. He's the timeless, eternal creator of all things. And once again, I hope and pray that when we look at this passage, as we learn about how God is not like us, you will find comfort that he is not like us, that he is a God beyond all measure of time. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start. And as we read through this, I'm going to read through all of Psalm 90 that we're going to go through and I'm going to point out a few things. But as we go through it, I want you to just notice this, if, especially if you're not used to reading the Bible. Maybe you're not used to hearing about Christianity. The Bible is very realistic about life and death in this world. And as we read through Psalm 90, I want you to see how clear-sighted Moses is about the fact that we're all going to die. You're young, 
You all look good. You have a lot of, hope you, I hope you have many, many more years. But college students, you need to hear that your life has an expiration date. And that's what Moses is reminding us of tonight. So let's start. And as we read through it, I want you to notice how he contrasts and comforts the fact that we are fleeting and finite and God is eternal and infinite. Right there above Psalm 90, it says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, verse one, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. And by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80 Yet their span is but toil and trouble and they are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants? Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Brothers and sisters, here's a one-sentence summary of the whole message. So if you, don't take, if you take notes, write this down. Here's the sentence. Since God's, de- since God's days are endless and your days are numbered, ask him today for wisdom, mercy, and permanence. Say this again. Since God's days are endless, that's verses one and two, and your days are numbered, verses three to 11, ask him today for wisdom, mercy, and permanence, verses 12 to 17. Y'all get that sentence? It's really important to get the sentence because that's the whole sermon right there. Since God's days are endless, verses 1 and 2, and your days are numbered, verses 3 to 11, ask him today for wisdom, mercy, and permanence. Now, as before we jump into that first one, I just want, to, I want you to ponder for a minute 
God's eternality. We're going to dig into this in, in, in the first two verses, but I just want you to think about this. This is another mystery about God that we should adore. We can, we can give words to it, but it, it's a mystery, right? It's a mystery. It should cause us to worship. One Puritan, uh, a guy named Thomas Watson said this, study God's eternity and it will make us adore where we cannot fathom. Some, it's, it, it, it should be a mind-blowing truth to think about God has never had a beginning. He's always existed. He's eternal. And one other thing to think about, because I won't mention it later, how wonderful it is for, for, for those who know the Lord to know that he's eternal. Think about this. Every one of his attributes is eternal. Are you thankful that he's not loving just for a set amount of years? His steadfast love endures how long? Forever. You see, it's good. He's a good God. His goodness is forever because he's eternal. So I'm not going to get into some of that, but I want you to just feel the weight of it at the beginning. Okay. If you're not trusting in the Lord tonight, know this. You can trust in this timeless God with all the times of your life because he holds all of your time in his hands. Number one, I want you to see this. God's days are endless. Verses one and two, God's days are endless. In verses one and two, Moses provides the central truth of this psalm. The main idea is right there. When I send my emails, I'll sometimes put bottom line up front. You just put the first line of the email. This is what the email's about. That's what Moses does in verses one and two. You see it. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, when you hear those verses, what chapter in the Bible should you think of? When it says, before you, when the mountains were brought forth or ever you formed the earth and the world, what, do you, what, what chapter of the Bible do you think of? Genesis what? One, right? He, Moses is looking back at creation and he's thinking before creation, before the beginning of the heavens and the earth, before the mountains and the earth and everything else, before all that, there was God. From everlasting to everlasting, there is God. He's the God of infinite days. The universe had a beginning. He never had one. God doesn't have a birthday, right? Every one of us have a birthday. God doesn't have a birthday. He doesn't wear a watch because he's everlasting. And so Moses wants us to know that this almighty God, notice verse one, is our dwelling place. He's the dwelling place for God's people. Now, don't just skip over that. This is called meditation. Now, when people hear meditation, they think you're supposed to empty your mind. Baloney. That's not, that's not what the Bible means when it says meditation. Meditation is taking God's truth and thinking about it, filling your mind. Who's writing this psalm? Moses. What was Moses doing the last 40 years of his life? Wandering in the wilderness, right? He didn't even go into the promised land. All the people that were going to go into the promised land died. It was only, obviously, the, the folks who were born after they had left Egypt went in. But here's the point. This is amazing. 
He's saying God is our dwelling place. The eternal God is our home, is our place of safety, is our refuge, is our sanctuary. God's people didn't have a home for 40 years. They had a tabernacle and they were wandering and living in tents. And Moses is saying God's people always have a home, a home with God. He's our dwelling place. He's our refuge. Moses was leading them to the promised land, but before they even got to the promised land, God's people were exiles and strangers, but he says in every generation, God is our true home. God is our true home. Now, in order to feel the comfort of knowing God as our true and forever home, as our abiding home, we have to linger for a minute on the fact that God is eternal. So I want to just meditate on that. So what I'm doing now is I'm looking at verse two. When it says everlasting, I'm just going to meditate on that for a minute, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The opening chapter of the Bible, right? Talks about the beginning of the heavens and the earth, the, the space and time are created there. That word in the beginning should indicate that. And so when you read through Genesis one, you have all these references to time morning, beginning, evening, days, seasons, all of that's in Genesis 1. But if I ask you, some, some of you here, please, please define time for me. You know what time is experientially. It's hard to define it. Just think of it. How would you answer that question? If you went, uh, when, are, when are midterms? Are they coming up soon? Praise God for midterms. I just reminded you, and now you're all stressed. If you went into midterms and, and you opened up the essay and the question just says, what is time? How would you answer that? We all exist, but try explaining the concept of being. That's hard to explain, right? We're all familiar with time. We look at a watch. I know I've got a few more minutes to preach. I used an alarm clock to get up this morning. Some of you had a birthday right, recently? We know what time is, but what exactly is it? He, he, for the purpose of this message, here's how I'm defining time. Time is a mode of existence in the created world that has a beginning, a succession of moments, and an end. It's a long definition, but that's what I think time is. It's an existence, a mode of existence in, cre in a created world, right? It's got a beginning, it's got succession, and it's got an end. And as time-bound beings, we often divide each other according to their ages, right? We have infants, we have teenagers, we've got uh, uh, college students, we've got post-graduates or whatever, and then you've got old people. You've got where I am, right? Our lives are marked off by time because we're creatures. But God's not like us. God is not in a category, uh, he's just really old. Have you ever heard someone refer to God as the old man upstairs? You ever heard that phrase? That's blasphemous. <laughs> God is not an old man, right? That, that's, that, that is, that's, not, that's not how we're supposed to think of God. Because listen, he's not in some stage. He possesses all of his infinite life at once. There's no progression or stage in God. He doesn't have a birthday. He's eternal. Time had a birthday. God doesn't. God is eternal. 
and he is infinite. Remember the first message, Psalm, or Isaiah 40, God is infinite. God is infinite. His infinity with respect to time is called his eternality. That's what Moses is getting at in, 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 in Psalm, 4, or Psalm 90, verses one and two. So what else can we see here? Um, time is characterized by being able to measure something, when something begins and when something ends. Some of you are looking at me right now, you're thinking, okay, I wish the sermon would end, right? Now listen, we call that marking time, right? Uh, everything in your fridge, how many of you have a fridge, a refrigerator? If you notice, everything in your fridge has a what? Expiration date on it, right? Now, sometimes you have, some of you have stuff in your fridge tonight that should have been thrown out, right? Check your expiration dates, right? God doesn't have an expiration date. He, he doesn't have an expiration date. He exists. He is eternal. Isaiah 57, 15 says that God is the one who's high and holy. And listen to this. He inhabits eternity. He lives in a land called eternity. That's where God lives. And to say that God is eternal is to say that he's not in time. One last thing, and and we'll jump back into Psalm 90. This is the best way I can explain it, all right? All right. God is not like us in this way. God isn't time's subject. You're time's subject. You were born in time. Your life is progressing through time. And one day your life will end. God isn't time's subject. Time is God's servant. God isn't time's subject. God, or sorry, time is God's servant. God is the Lord of time. So our lives change all the time, right? So from the moment I began this message, you're a few minutes older than you were a few minutes ago. Some of you just had a birthday. Some of you, all of us are becoming older. Some of you are learning things in college. Some of you are just playing COD all the time. Some of you have gotten a haircut. You're better looking than you were. I don't even, do people even play COD anymore? I don't even know. I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just just trying to be relevant. Some of you ate too much and right now you're becoming sleepy, right? We're always changing. We're always progressing. Now, one of my favorite theologians said several years ago, he said that human beings are always becoming. And he said, we should call ourselves human becomings (laughs) because we're not human beings. We don't just exist. We're always becoming something that we weren't before. But listen, there's no past and there's no future with God. He's perfect and absolute being. He's never becoming. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning in the end, Job 36, 26, behold, God is great and we know him not and the number of his years is unsearchable. Okay, God's eternal. He's the God of endless days, all right? But the, the second thing that Moses wants us to see is not just that God, his days are endless. He, wanted, he wants you to know that your days are numbered. Look at verse three down to verse 11. Your days are numbered. God or Moses is going to contrast the eternality of God with our finite frailty in verses 3 to 11. And again, he's this is trying to comfort you. If you know that you're finite and you're frail and that your days are numbered, you're going to take great comfort to flee and to trust in this eternal God who's everlasting. Now, first thing to notice is this. 
Verse three tells us, number one, that life is short. Life is short. Look at verse three. You return man to dust. That's, again, that's Genesis three. You hear that? Return to the dust. That's Genesis three. And say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. You swept them away as with a flood. What does that make you think of? Genesis 7, the flood. You sweep them away as with the flood. They're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and it's renewed. And in the evening it fades and withers. So Moses contrasts God's eternality with our finite frailty. He says that a thousand years in God's sight is like one day. Now, don't do the math. It's, it's not, he's not giving you a ratio to say, oh, that, that's the equivalent of, you know. No, the, the point is, is that what we feel like lasts just a little bit of time, to God, it, it, it's beyond measure. It's a thousand, a thousand years, right? The point is to be humbled by this. Our days pass by like a dream. He compares it to like grass. Now, I don't know. Do you guys have yards to mow? Raise your hand if you ever mow a yard. Okay, a few of you. All right, so Arkansas has weird grass. You don't have to mow it in the winter. All my grass just died like a week ago. It's like all yellow now. Is that just the way Arkansas grass is? Yes. Okay, well, bad illustration. Keep moving on. Here we go. <laughs> now, life is short. Our lives are like grass. My grass looked great three weeks ago. Now it's all dead. And Moses said, yeah, that's the way your life is. Your life and my life is just like the grass. You're gonna be alive today and tomorrow, just, just tomorrow in the big scheme of things, we're gonna be dead. Why? That brings us to the second thing. Look at number, verse seven. You see, what's the first word in verse seven? You see the word for? When you see the word for, Moses is giving you a reason or an explanation. You should say, why are our days short, Moses? Why is life short? Well, here's the reason. Because God's angry. For we are brought to an end by your what? Anger. And by your wrath, we're dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Moses is saying this. We are finite human beings who have sinned against this good and everlasting God. And because we have sinned and rebelled against him, he's angry. And the wages of our sin is death, both physical death and also spiritual death. And so, Moses says the reason our lives are cut short is because we're sinners living in a fallen world and we've rebelled against this good God. The wages of our sin is death. So that's the second thing. Life is short, God is angry. Again, you're thinking, man, this is so encouraging. I come on this retreat to hear this. But this is, we need to be reminded of this. This is really good. Our days are numbered. Every one of our lives, sometimes you read in the paper or online or whatever about someone who's committed a crime and they're on death row awaiting a death sentence. Moses says, that's all true of us. We've committed the most grievous sin or crime ever. We've committed treason against our maker. 
And because we've committed a capital crime, we all have a death sentence. That's, that's the wages of sin. That's what sin means. Life is short, God is angry, and it gets worse. I, I would love to say it's gonna get better, but it gets worse. Look at verse 11. He says, he asked the question, a rhetorical question. Who considers or understands, your Bible may say, the power of your anger and the wrath, your wrath according to the fear of you? Of course, the answer is no one does. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you woke up this morning and thought, wow, it's amazing given the sin that I committed yesterday that I woke up this morning. It's a miracle. It's amazing given the sin that happened on campus last night when you walked out your door and the campus was still there. That's amazing. That's a miracle. And this is the point. None of us did. We don't think, we don't consider at all. We don't consider at all the power of his anger. We don't because we're foolish. We're foolish. We don't think about that at all. Now, where, where am I getting full, foolish from? Look at the verse again. Who considers or understands your wrath? Notice this phrase, according to the what? Fear of you. You see that? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. We don't fear God enough because we're foolish. We don't think about it. Doesn't motivate us. There's nothing more important than being in a right relationship with this God, and yet we've sinned against Him, and we don't think about what that means. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to just think about this for a minute. This book of Psalms, right? It's a book of praises. That's what Psalms means, praises. But there's also Psalms in this book called the book of Psalms that aren't just praises. There's, there's Psalms like this that talk about realities that we don't typically want to think about. Um, the reason I love preaching on Psalm 90, especially today, do you know what I was doing this morning? I was at a funeral. I left a funeral and came here. I've been thinking about death all day long. But here's the thing. I don't go to funerals every day. But I, as I was thinking about Psalm 90, I thought I might be a better man if I did. Because you, it puts you in the position of re remembering my life is finite. And one day I'm going to die and I'm going to face my maker. And we don't live in that reality. And that's what Moses is getting at here. When's the last time you thought, I'm going to die? Now, you might be thinking, this is really morbid, but part of the reason it's weird for us to even talk about death because we live in a culture that wants to put death as far away from us as possible. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to even read about it. Now, I found this illustration. I don't know if you're going to think it's good, but we'll go with it. The, have you ever heard of the New England Primer? The New England Primer? New England Primer was, was, a, was a textbook that they used at the founding of America to teach children how to understand the alphabet, all right? And so it, this, was the, this was in the 18th century, this was to teach kids the ABCs. And what they did was they had a letter and they had a rhyme next to the letter to help them remember, remember the letter. 
So they had, you know, A is for alligator, and they had a picture of an alligator. B is for ball. C is for cat. They have a little poem about a cat, right? Well, it gets to, to T, T. And next to the T, this is for little kids. Next to the T was a big, massive skeleton holding an hourglass with a grim reaper's blade in his hand. And it said, time cuts down all, both great and small. Great, Scott. Now, we don't put that in kids' books anymore, do we? Hey, little Tommy, T doesn't stand for Tommy. It stands for time. You're going to die, Tommy. Like, think about this. Who does that? Now, listen, I love being a dad. I love being a dad. The only thing I love better than being a dad is being a husband. But here's the thing. One of the things I'm constantly doing as a dad is I'm trying to help my children see the big picture. They get focused on something. And, I, and as a dad, I want to come alongside him and say, I love you. I'm here for you. Look at this. Just look back and look at this big picture of you. Because once you, once you zoom out and look at the big picture, it often helps you understand the trials or whatever we're going through in the present. Moses is acting like a good father right here. I'm sure you didn't sign up to come to this retreat because you wanted to think about death. But Moses loves you. He wants you to think about this. He wants you to meditate on it. He wants you to zoom out and see the big picture. Life is short. God is angry and we're foolish. So what's the hope? What what, what do we do with that? Where, Where do we go from here? Well, our last point. Look at verse 12. What's the first word in verse 12? Oh, come on, y'all. Wake up now. We're almost done. What's the first word in verse 12? So. so. You see that word so? That is a beautiful word. Your Bible may say therefore or so. He's giving you the application. Moses is making what we call an inference. He's just said all of this stuff about God in verses 1 and 2. And then verses 3 to 7, all this stuff about you and me. And now he says, so, therefore. And he's going to teach us something and give us application. This is great. What's the application? Here it is. Last point. Number three, ask God today for three things. Wisdom, mercy, and permanence. Verses 12 to 17. Let's take those really quickly and then we'll be done. Now, if you pay careful attention so far, this is amazing. I I saw this this morning and it blew my mind. Hopefully, Hopefully, you'll be encouraged. The very three things that Moses just talked about, Moses prays and intercedes for God's people to reverse the very things he just described. God's people are foolish. So what's the first thing he asks for? Wisdom. You see it? Verse 12. God's people are foolish. He's just said that. So Moses asked the eternal God for wisdom. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of what? Come on, y'all, wake up. Wisdom, wisdom. Because God's eternal, you can trust him and his wise and unfailing word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So trust his word and ask him for wisdom today. 
You, if, you will never ask God for wisdom until you realize that you're foolish. But if, if you know I'm foolish, I need help. You go to the God who's eternal for wisdom. That's the first thing. Second thing, earlier he said that God is angry. Remember, God is angry. Well, if God's angry, what do we need? If God's angry because of our sin, what do we need? We need mercy. We need mercy, right? So what does he pray? Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Notice this word, have what? Pity. Your Bible may say mercy on your servants. Earlier, he used these words, anger, wrath, wrath, anger, and wrath. Look at verses 13 to 15. Have pity or mercy on your servants and satisfy us in the morning with your what? Steadfast love. If you're a sinner, you don't just need wisdom, you need mercy and love. And this eternal God will delight to give you mercy and love. Steadfast love that will endure forever. He delights to give that to sinners. That's about, that's who this God is. Earlier, we were sighing and our days were ending with a sigh, right? And now he says, give us your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in you, what? All of our days, all of our days. Verse 15, make us glad, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Verse 13, look again. What's the first word in verse 13? Return. You remember the word he used earlier? Earlier he said, God said, return to the dust. And now Moses is using that same word and putting it back to God and say, return, O God. Have pity on your servants. Listen, God, friend, God knows you. He knows you inside and out and he knows the very worst about you. He knows your secret sins, Moses said earlier. All of us have sins. God knows our secret sins. He knows them. And He loves you still. He knows your secret sins and He loves you still. And what this passage is teaching us, because this God who knows our secret sins is offering you steadfast love and mercy, Moses wants you to bring your secret sins to him, to confess them to him, to bring them into the light of his eternal presence and say, God, I've been hiding this sin from everyone, but I know that you know it. And so I'm going to acknowledge and confess these sins to you. And friend, this psalm is teaching us there is more mercy in the Lord than there is sin in you. Do you believe that? There's more mercy in the Lord than sin in you. Christian, rejoice this night knowing that this eternal God will never stop loving you because He never started. He has loved you from before the foundation of the world. He has set his eternal, everlasting love upon you. He never started. He has loved you from before the dawn of time. And the third thing, we don't just 
go to God, this eternal God, and ask for wisdom because we're foolish and we ask for, stead- we ask for mercy because we're sinners. Thirdly, our days are numbered. So God asks the eternal God for permanence. You see that? Verses 16 and 17. Because our days are numbered, he says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to even their children. He's looking another generation beyond. Verse 17, let the favor or the grace of our Lord God be upon us. And I love this, establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I don't know any of you that woke up this morning and said, man, I hope my life doesn't count for anything. I don't think you did that. You want your life to count for something. And in this passage, in this prayer, Moses is showing us that if you trust in this God, your life matters for eternity. Your life matters for eternity. You can say right now, if you're trusting in this God, that right now counts forever. And if you're trusting in Christ, Paul says, because he's alive, because he's ruling and reigning at God's right hand, he says to us, beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labors are not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let me close with this. We've looked at Psalm 90, but it's always good to zoom out and pay attention to the context. Now, who was older? <laughs> Moses, who, who came first, Moses or David? Moses. Moses, right? Now, Moses wrote this psalm. So it was the first psalm written. But where does it show up? Why is it in Psalm 1? It's in Psalm 90. Now, when I read that, I, I just start having tons of questions. I think that, that bothers me. Why is it here? You ever thought about that? This stuff keeps me up at night, all right? Why is it here? Well, here's why it's here. I want you to think about this. What an amazing thing Moses has done right here. What an amazing mediator he was for God's people, all right? Do you remember after the law of of God was given at Mount Sinai, when, when, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, he went down to the bottom of the mountain And instead of receiving the law and delighting in the Lord, what were God's people Israel doing in the bottom of the mountain? They had already crafted a golden calf, an idol, and they had bowed down to it and were worshiping the idol. He's getting the Ten Commandments and they're already committing the equivalent of spiritual adultery against the God that had rescued them from Egypt. And God, his anger is is risen. And right when he's going to wipe out Israel, who intercedes? Exodus 32. Moses, the mediator, goes to God and says, God, have mercy on this people. Give them mercy. Don't give them what they deserve. Show mercy, show steadfast love. Moses intercedes. And God says, I'm going to spare them. Now, what has just happened in the book of Psalms? In Psalm 88 and Psalm 89 are the lowest parts of the whole book of Psalms. Psalm 88 ends with, darkness is my friend. 
Because at this part in the book of Psalms, it looks like God is not going to keep his promises. There's no king in Israel. God's people are being taken into exile. The temple's been destroyed. Where are God's promises to David going to come true? That's Psalm 89. It looks like God's people are not going to get any of God's blessings anymore. And right at that point in Psalm 89, who shows up again? The mediator, Moses. And he comes on the scene and he prays and says, God, have mercy on your people once again. But friend, this psalm, which teaches us about this great mediator, Moses, is intended to point us to a greater mediator. There's a greater mediator who's far greater than Moses. In fact, Hebrews 3.5 says this about Moses. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later about God's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the perfect mediator of God's people. Friend, Jesus had no secret sins. Jesus Christ loved God, his father, with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. The eternal son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. The one who is the author of time became subject to time in the incarnation. And this is what we know about our mediator. We read this in 1 John 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And here's the difference between Jesus and Moses. Ready? What was Moses' prayer? What was his argument in Psalm 90? He made no argument. He just said, God, have mercy. That's his, that's his argument. Just have mercy. Here's Jesus' argument. 1 John 2.2. 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Friend, the eternality of God shines forth in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word of the Father, who was with God and who was God in the beginning, who was the one through whom all things were created and the wonder of wonders, this God took on flesh and dwelt, for, dwelt in this world for us. He took the wrath that we deserved in his body on the tree. He paid the penalty for your sins and my sins and anyone who would ever turn from their sins and trust in him. That's what that word propitiation means. The wrath that Moses talks about that we deserve fell on the one who didn't deserve it, the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved us and secured us everlasting bliss. And here's the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have what? Eternal life. Everlasting life. Because he's the eternal one. Trust in this Christ. He's risen for our justification. And because he's risen, death is dead. And friends, this is where we're going. Let me close with this. We're going to a place, if we're trusting in Christ, when we die, and all of us are going to die, but if you're trusting in Christ, 
you're going to a place, and I'm going to try to describe it using the words of another guy named Sam Storms. He said this, when we get to heaven, there will be nothing that is abrasive or irritating or agitating or hurtful, nothing harmful, hateful, upsetting, or unkind, nothing sad, bad, or mad, nothing harsh or impatient or ungrateful or unworthy, nothing weak or sick or broken or foolish, nothing degenerate, depraved, or disgusting, nothing polluted, nothing pathetic or poor or putrid, nothing dark or dismal or dismaying, nothing blameworthy or blemished or blasphemous, nothing illegal or lustful, nothing marred or misaligned or misinformed, nothing tawdry or tasteless or tempting. Wherever you turn your eyes, you will see nothing but glory and grandeur and beauty and brightness and purity and perfection and splendor and satisfaction and salvation and majesty and marvel and holiness and happiness. We will only and all see only that which is adorable and beautiful and bright and delightful and delectable and elegant and grand and gracious and good and happy and holy. And why will it be that we see all these things? Because we will be looking at our eternal God. Will you see him on that day? And will you love him when you see him? Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly father, we ask you as the Lord of time and as the author of time, that by your spirit and for the glory of your son, that you would help us to have wisdom today and tomorrow and as long as you lend us breath until that day when our faith becomes sight and our prayers become praise. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.